Good morning. Greetings in the name of Jesus. How are you doing this morning? Are you blessed to be in the house of God? As I was sitting up here preparing to stand in front, I find it humbling to deliver truths from the Word of God. And thank you, Brother Drew, for that devotional the Holy Spirit, to feel the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I trust that is evident in yours. We are going to 1 Peter again this morning. We're going to continue our look at it. I'd like to start off with a little illustration first, and I'm going to use one of my co-workers. She might not be happy with me, but Miss Emily Whitmer teaches at REACH. She teaches first grade. And as a teacher, it is very important to have rules that guides and structures your classroom. And if you are at reach, you would see that Miss Whitmer demands respect. She asks for, for respect and she asks for her students to follow the rules that she puts in place. And it has been so neat to me to see the students blossom under that structure. It's good for them. Sometimes they don't want to. Sometimes they try to push the boundaries and the lines that are drawn. Emily doesn't allow them to do that too much, which is good for them. And I see them blossoming under that structure. But as you might think, well, rules, yeah, they're good. But hopefully she shows a little grace, right? Well, you see, as I see the students interacting with her, she demands respect and obedience. The question is, does she have grace? Is she gracious? Well, this Friday I had a little glimpse into the grace that came from her. Friday afternoon, 2 o'clock arrived, and there was a family that forgot that we dismissed at 2 o'clock on Fridays. And the students hung around and hung around, and it was two of her first graders. Finally, the dad gave me a call and apologized. They realized and were on their way. And I was inside, I went into school, and I came back out. And there in the parking lot, Miss Whitmer is playing Foursquare with her two students. That was grace. And you should have seen their eyes light up. Because their teacher's playing Foursquare with them after school's over. You see, they got a glimpse into Miss Whitmer that she loved them. Yes, she demanded respect and obedience. But when they gave that respect and obedience to her, she wanted to pour out on them love and grace. And that gave me a, a vivid illustration, actually, going into this next passage of 1 Peter. And here in 1 Peter this morning, I see a need to strive for holiness so we can experience that the Lord is gracious. When we strive for that holiness, obedience, we then experience the graciousness of our Lord in a way that we couldn't otherwise experience. So if you haven't already, you can turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. And little review. Anybody remember what our theme is going to be going through First Peter? 
That's okay. I'll just test you on it next time. A lively hope. A lively hope. I want us to keep that in mind as we go through 1 Peter. A lively hope is what we have in Christ. And the, we looked at 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. And it said, we are saved. He starts off by saying, blessed be God in verse 3. And he goes, why are we blessing him? Because he gave us an inheritance. He saved us. Our response to that was of rejoicing. Because of this beautiful work of salvation, the wonder of it. Remember the prophets foretold it. And even the angels look into this and are watching on with wonder. We have a lively hope. And kind of our takeaway from last time is we need to leave with rejoicing. Rejoice in that fact. That's where our identity lies. It's nothing we did, but what God did for us. And this morning, we're going to transition to an action step, looking at our works. But the foundational truth to our works is that Christ saved us. Remember that. We always uh, look back and forth between faith and works. But remember, Christ saved us. That's where our identity lies when we believe in him. And that leads us into a call to action. Whenever you want to request something of somebody, do you look for a time when they're a little grumpy? No. We look for a time when they seem to be in a good mood. Children, well, I remember back to my childhood days, I'd wait for the chance when mom and dad seemed to be in a pretty good mood before I presented my request to them. When we are rejoicing and happy, we want to give back to others. So coming out of our rejoicing from what Jesus has done for us, that should spur us into action. And Peter here, in the second part of chapter 1, calls us to action. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 1, verses 13, to, and we're going to go into chapter 2, verse 3, a little bit. And my title for this morning is A Holy Life, a holy life. First Peter 1, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons, judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, 
unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and as we dig into these verses here in 1 Peter, may you reveal your truth to us as we are called to a holy life, and may we experience your graciousness. Be with us here. In Jesus' name, amen. A holy life. What comes to your mind when you think of holy? What does it mean to be holy? This week I had the privilege of sitting under teaching, and it was just good to soak up truths. I was out at Minister's Week at SMBI, and in one of the classes in a Conflict Resolution, John Koblenz would uh, uh, give his, his talk and his points on conflict and resolution, and come to the end of the session, he would then look at a Bible passage where he would take away where he got those truths from. And we'd go to the passage, and then we would turn around and talk about it in our little small groups before we would come back. So I'm going to take a chance here this morning. Turn to your neighbor and just briefly say how you would describe what is, what is it to be holy, or how would you define holy? What is holy living? What is holy? Go ahead, talk to your neighbor about it. All right. Anybody uh, brave enough to shout out something you uh, talked about? What is it to be holy? Living above sin. Living above sin. To be like Christ. To be like Christ. To set apart. Good. What does it mean to be holy? My heading for this section of, of the scripture is a call to holy living. And coming out of our rejoicing of what Jesus has done for us, Peter starts off verse 13 and says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, this was uh, written in context of their dress, their attire in the Old Testament, and they did wear big robes with a belt around their waist. And when they were ready to go work or walk, they would fold the edges of their robes up into their belt so that it would not hinder their movements. 
And Peter here is calling them in that same way, gird up your loins, get ready with anticipation. Bind those robes up to facilitate walking and working. So coming out of our rejoicing, let's get ready with anticipation. Let's not just hang loose. Let's live intentionally, is what Peter is saying. And here he's specifically referring to, gird up the loins of your mind. It often starts in our head. Are we, pre- are we preparing our thoughts with anticipation to serve? Gird up the loins of your mind, Peter says. And then he says, be sober. What does it mean to be sober? We often, uh, I, that word is used in reference to alcoholic people. Be sober. Too much alcohol makes you unsober. Sober means a balance without excess. So he's saying, get ready with anticipation. Be balanced. Don't be excessive. And hope. I have a couple of points here this morning, four brief things that we pull out of these passages. And he is here is just getting us ready for, I think, the point that he wants to drive home. Holiness here in a little bit. But first of all, get ready with anticipation. Roll up your sleeves, if you will. Be sober, be balanced, and hope. And we're going to talk more about, little, about hope in a little bit. And hope to the end for what? For the grace that's going to come. Don't let your mind be here in the present, but look forward to what Christ is going to do for us when he comes back. And how are we supposed to do that? I felt like uh, putting a diagram like I did before, diagramming uh, this sentence. I think verse 13 to verse 16 is technically all one sentence. And here I see as obedient children, he's saying how we should get ready. And from our Sunday school lesson this morning, we talked about children. Children are an imitation of parents. And again, Peter here is referring to us as children, as obedient children, right? Like Miss Whitmer asks her students to obey her, the rules that she puts in place. We are to obey the rules, if you will, that God puts in place for us. Because what is our tendency? Our human tendency is to fashion yourselves according to the former lusts. We're all human. And in each of us, there is a desire to go back to our fleshly lusts that want to come to fruition. But we need to turn away from that. Don't pattern your life after. Fashioning here means to conform. So don't pattern after. Don't conform to those lusts, those fleshly desires that want to creep up. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked. Our heart is bent towards sin. And part of this getting ready that Peter is calling us to is calling us to obedience and recognizing that our heart is wicked. The things that our flesh wants often goes against what God asks for. And you see, it's often easy to see the sinfulness in other people. It's often more evident in other people. Their fleshly lusts, their fleshly desires. But what about us? 
Look at ourselves. And I find it interesting to see a heart bent to what they want in my little girls. Um, yesterday, yes, last night going to bed, we had a little incident as well. She, um, our daughter Katora wanted something. And she was bent that way. She did not want to yield to us. And we worked through that process. We were sitting down trying to read through a Bible story and do some singing, and she didn't want to sing. But we, we, we talked it through, and at the end she was singing. And then we went upstairs, and you should have seen her then. All of a sudden she was happy. She was ready to go. Because her heart was bent to do something she wanted. Yet when she yielded those fleshly wants to what dad and mom wanted, there was peace. And she felt so much better. That's how each one of us operates. Our, he our heart is bent to sin. But when we yield that, that's when we have the peace. That's when we are ready to gird up our loins, to be sober and hope to the end. And then he says, all right, get ready because... I don't want you to go after your former lusts, but do what? First call to action this morning. Be holy. Verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And you guys discussed a little bit what it is to be holy. And when we think of a holy God, I think of a God characterized by perfection. By transcendence. He's above human desires, wants. Are holy people supposed to attain to that? And sometimes, if I was to ask you, are you holy this morning? Would you raise your hand? We'd get a little nervous about that to say, oh, I'm holy. But it is possible to be holy. Sometimes I put the idea of holiness as, oh, only God. Yeah, I'm supposed to reach for it, but God shows grace. No, it is possible for us through God's grace, we're going to get to that in a little bit, to be holy. Holy people are characterized by pure consecration. A holy people is different. So what Peter is saying here, be different. Be consecrated to God. That is holiness. And holiness in life, we looked at in the Sunday school lesson, it talked about specific applications to living a holy life. And we could go that route. But Peter calls us here to holiness. Why? Remember, we are coming off rejoicing of what Jesus has done for us. That then puts us in anticipation, girding up, being ready to give back to God. And that is a holy life that comes out of it. And if you think about holiness... He says, it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Consecrated, different, set apart. Sometimes that seems like a lofty goal. What does that lead you to? To me, that puts me in a place of, wow, awe. And second action step for this morning, fear. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And I think the verb here is pass, pass the time. And how are we supposed to pass it? In fear. So those students should walk into Miss Whitmer's room every morning 
treading very softly? No, that's not the point. We don't need to come before God and what's God going to do next, but rather a sense of awe, admiration, and wow. That is what Peter is calling us to, fear. And here he says, if we call on the Father, is calling on the Father, is prayer optional? Is that what he's saying, if? No, I think he is just assuming, he knows that when we get to the state of realizing we need holiness in our life, when we need to be set apart, that is going to move us into a place of God. How can I do this? And we come before him, if you call on the Father, we cry out to him. And remember, he does not have any respect of persons, is what it says here. He judges impartially. He looks at each one of us and our works. Hmm. That should move us to an even greater sense of fear. I'm not going to be judged on where I go to church or no. He's going to look at each one of our works. That is how he judges us individually, not based on what my parents have done, not based on what others around me do, but he looks at each one of us. And the sojourning, I, I love the words that Peter uses here, sojourning gives the connotation of traveling through. Remember, we are just a traveling through. And as we're traveling through, striving for this life of holiness, we are supposed to fear, stand in awe. For as much as ye knew that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, corruptible things are things that pass away, not silver and gold, and not with from your vain conversations, aimless conduct, received by tradition, Maybe heartless routine that you got from your fathers. You see, they were just coming out of the Old Testament era where there was a list of Old Testament laws they had to follow in sacrificing. Peter is saying, you are not saved because of that. That's not what saves you. And I had to think of, of today, traditions are important. However, following through with the traditions is not what saves us. And we need to be careful that we evaluate our traditions well. But what I see today, in today's world, is I see us wanting to change sometimes our traditions to meet our lifestyle. And sometimes it does take evaluating the traditions that have been handed down and changing our lifestyle to meet the traditions. Recognizing that it doesn't save us, but points us to a place of fear and awe of God. Be holy and fear. We are not saved with the traditions. We are not saved with corruptible things. But what are we saved with? Verse 19, what are we saved with? The precious blood of Christ. What do you do with something that is precious? You treasure it. Peter is saying here, don't try to think that you're saved with corruptible things, but you are saved with Jesus' blood, and it's precious. Treasure that. And when we treasure what Jesus has done for us, that does put us in a place of fear and awe of God. That puts us in the place where we need to be. It says that, uh, verse 20, 
who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This precious blood of Christ. Oh, by the way, it's a lamb without blemish. It's without spot. It's perfection. It's holiness. That's that blood that has cleansed us and saved us. That was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before the world was even created, God had that planned in mind because he knew that humankind would choose to go against him. Therefore, he put in place the perfect sacrifice. He knew it beforehand. God knew it before creation. He came for us to accomplish the work of redemption. The precious blood of Christ. And we commemorate the blood of Christ at communion two times a year. But I think it is so much more important or it is important that we look at that throughout the year. Every day of our life, realizing that's what saved us. So Jesus came, right? His precious blood, a lamb without blemish. He was manifest in these last times for you. He was revealed in these times for us. Who by him do believe in God. Here I see that Jesus was not trying to bring glory to himself, but he was an agent to God. Christ is the agent. He did not want to receive glory and praise for him, but he wanted to point us to God our Father that raised him up from the dead, that gave him glory. God did that for Jesus. So why? That your faith and hope might be in God. Now, if I was to do that exercise again and say, define hope for me, what would you say? What is hope? Christian hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not just a blind desire to have. It's not just a mere optimistic temperament looking on the bright side. It is a firm conviction that God's promise will materialize. It's confidence. That's, we can come to God in confidence, in our fear, Reverence and awe for him. Knowing that, hoping, having confidence that Jesus, that God, will fulfill his prophecy, will fulfill his promises, and come back for us. That gives us hope. So we come before God, we're holy. We have, there's a need for holiness. That need for holiness drives us to a place of fear and awe. For God. And then that brings us to verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love to the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So be holy. Fear. Third action step this morning that I think comes when we are holy, when we pursue holiness and we fear. And that is love. I see here love. And where does love come from? Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Obedient, obeying scripture purifies. Ah, oh, there we see a need for obedience. Because when we obey, that purifies. Keturah, when she submitted her, her will and her want to what dad and mom wanted, that purified her. And she then had a better outlook on life. She was happier. 
That's what comes when we obey. Obeying Scripture purifies and produces what? Sincere love. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. A sincere love for others around us. Unfeigned means genuine, sincere, fervently, eagerly, constantly, earnestly. Our tendency is to look around and and judge. This call to holiness, each one of us is going to stand before God. Therefore, that's our call to holiness. But it is easy for me to look around and say, well, he's not doing that or she's doing this. That's not love. When we obey the scripture, that will bring an attitude of love for our brothers and sisters around us, not judgment. Judging is for God to do. And what is the most important thing? We find love from being purified because we are, verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Brothers and sisters, what leads to repentance? The word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. That is what points to repentance. That what the Holy Spirit uses to nudge people to being born again. The importance of repentance is what we see here in verse 23. Not of the things that are going to pass away, but of the, of the word of God which is going to stay and abide forever. By the seed of the word of God. Which seed? The incorruptible seed of the word of God. And as I was looking at this, I, I was reminded again of the power of the word of God. And as we talk about letting our light shine to those around us, we say that our life needs to be an example, correct? To the unbeliever, it does. But the word of God is going to plant seeds that me and you cannot. And in our age, I feel like we've transitioned to a a need for relationship. I remember when I was a little boy going with dad up to uh, New York City, and we were handing out tracts and preaching on the street, uh, the street corners. And wow, I looked up at these guys and they were preaching heaven and hell. And I said, whoa, does anybody listen? And we were handing out tracts and one guy would go down the street and drop a track in the trash can. Well, where did that go? What seed did that plant? I felt like, or I feel like maybe we've transitioned away from the power of the word and went, well, I need to talk to somebody. And while relationships with those around us are important and guiding somebody to repentance, there is power in the word of God that we cannot even explain. We were traveling home from SMBI and there was a a lady in one of the restaurants who was not um, treating her coworker very nicely with the mistakes that he was making. And we were on our way out and Ruthie was like, I should have gave her a track. What's one track going to do? It's the word of God, brothers and sisters. Never underestimate the word of God. And be ready and willing, and this is a challenge that I want to work at, be ready and willing to pass on a word of God. Yes, it may plant a seed, it may not. But we need to be the agent, back to what Christ was to God, an agent in passing on the word of God, because that is the seed that is going to point people to repentance.
the power of the word. And if we see that the word is powerful, it goes into the last section of verses that I would like to look at. Verse 24 to into chapter 2, verse 3. For all flesh is as grass. All the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. We are like grass. Did you ever uh, compare yourself with grass? You're going to fall away. You're going to wither away. But the word of God, the seeds that we plant with the word of God are going to remain forever. The word of God is there forever. And the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which was preached by the gospel, which by the gospel is preached unto you. Preached here comes from the word evangelize. People were evangelizing to the, to the churches and passing on the power of the word, allowing the word to plant the seeds. So, the word, the word brings repentance. And a, repentance calls us to a life of holiness. Obedience leads to holiness. It purifies. Since the word of God is going to remain there forever... The importance of gleaning on every truth is revealed here as Peter wraps up this this section of a call to holy living. Because this word is the seed for repentance, wherefore you should lay aside all malice, all ill will, all desire that others suffer. That's what malice is. Gossip. Elevates us. Put that aside. All guile. Misleading. Put aside all hypocrisies. Playing a part. Feigning to be what one is not. Put aside all envies. Wanting something what somebody else has. And all evil speakings. Slander. False charges. That is the human tendency. To hang on to those things. But since the word of God is going to remain and is... We're going to fall away. We're going to wither away. Put those things aside and do what? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What does desire mean? Yearn, long for, intense desire. And he brings in here a baby. And as I think about a baby, a baby doesn't uh, drink one gallon of milk a day at one shot. A baby takes little, little bits of milk here and there all throughout the day, all throughout the week. In that same way, we are supposed to desire the Word of God. Little bits here and there. Sundays are not sufficient. It's little bits. A desire for it is what Peter is calling us to. Because why? That Word is going to plant seeds of repentance. A call to holiness, which leads to a fear of God and a love for the brothers. Therefore, fourth action step this morning is desire. We need to desire the word. Do you desire the word? If you desire the word, if you are gleaning on the word, what happens? If so be, if you desire the word like a newborn babe, You are going to taste that the Lord is gracious. And he doesn't use a sense of seeing or hearing. You know, I can see something that's out in the parking lot, 
I can hear if the door closes. That's distant from me. But tasting is something has to be right here. Peter uses that analogy to desiring the word of God. Do we desire the word of God? When we do that, we will experience that the Lord is gracious. When we see that we need to live holy, that puts us in a place of fear of God. And that fear calls us to rely on Him to live a holy life. And when we are doing that, that purification process brings love for those around us. And that all comes from the foundation of a desire for the Word of God. So my challenge is, do you desire the Word of God? Are you striving for a holy life? And to end here this morning, going back to that story of Miss Whitmer. Yes, she demands holiness, per se, in her classroom. And you might look at that as, well, that's a tyrant. Why does she need to tell me what to do? Why does God need to tell me what to do? But in the end, it's for our good. Miss Whitmer has her students good in mind. When they realize that she demands rules and respect, they want to seek that. They have a healthy fear of her, respect all. That leads them to desire to seek what she wants. And when they do that, they experience that the Lord is gracious. Now, don't for an instance think that my holiness determines God's grace. No. God's grace is there. But when we pursue that holy life, when we fear, love, and desire, that's when we will fully taste and experience that the Lord is gracious. So as you go about your week, think about leading a holy life, standing in fear of God. And I trust that you can experience the Lord's graciousness. Why don't we bow our heads for prayer, uh, Brother Damien, if you'd have a song afterwards. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the words from 1 Peter here this morning. And as we looked at this, Peter is calling us to a life of holiness. And when we stand and think about coming before a holy God, leading a holy life after you, that brings us to a sense of fear of all. But when we pursue holiness, there's a purification that happens. And we can have a love for the brethren around us and a desire for the word. May we desire a life of holiness and desire your word that, got, that is going to plant seeds of repentance and fruit. Please be with us as we pursue a life of holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.